Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Throw, baby, welcome in Wednesday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, JJ Johnson Stremski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And what's that old Sonny and Cher song? Oh, the beat goes on. That's right. The beat goes on for the New York Yankees in their quest in trying to get into the postseason tournament, trying to get into October baseball. They go from Boston to Toronto. In many ways, you can look at this final stretch of the regular season in like a redemption tour kind of way. Because let's be honest, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Tampa Bay Rays have all had their way with the New York Yankees. Well, the Yankees took care of Boston. They get swept. As good as it gets. You wanted to see how the Yankees were going to respond in Toronto against the team that has owned them and against the pitcher in Hung Jin Ryu, who, yes, has been dreadful in the month of September, but he's been a guy that's really given the Yankees a hard time. The Yankees put together excellent, excellent, excellent at-bats and made Hung Jin Ryu flat-out work. Even though the Yankees did not capitalize in the early innings of this game, 
They made Ryu work to the point where you had a couple of runners on base. You had a two-strike situation, and Anthony Rizzo is able to flick his wrist, send the ball in the left field, and allow the Yankees to go and tie the game. Big boy hitting, and let's be honest, that's the sort of hitting you weren't getting from the Yankees in the first half of this year. And for the Luke Voigt fan club, I got news for you. Luke Voigt ain't giving you that sort of at-bat against Hung Jin Ryu. Rizzo's a better player. And that's why there's going to be no debate and there's going to be no argument to who the first baseman is from here on out. It's Anthony Rizzo. Offensively, defensively, the guy is a winning ball player. It's as simple as that. But then you have to get to the two big guns in this Yankee lineup. The main reason why the Yankees are in prime position to go and get into the dance, to get into the tournament, their biggest hitters and their biggest stars in the lineup have balled out over the last couple of weeks. Aaron Judge, home run, big go-ahead hit, fabulous, fabulous at-bats. You don't have to worry about that pinky that he popped into place at Fenway Park. Big Aaron Judge is all good. But then it's about Giancarlo. And I may have tweeted this out. Got it from the great Steve Mezzacapa, who is probably the biggest John Carlos Stanton hater I know. Listen, I wasn't exactly the leader of the John Carlos Stanton fan club. I wasn't exactly all aboard the idea of his presence and what, you know, he brought to the team as far as not playing the field, being too right-handed, same type of player as Aaron Judge. You also haven't seen John Carlos Stanton go on a run like this. You did last year in the postseason. But in the regular season, Stanton has played, he's been durable, and he's been clutch as hell. That missile he hit in the left field today, I mean, my goodness, that's like a five iron. That baby didn't get off the ground, and it's just like a rocket getting sent out of Rogers Center. Stanton has been in the middle of everything for the New York Yankees. And think about these numbers that John Carlos Stanton has put up this year. Just think about it for a minute. First of all, he's homered now in four consecutive games. Stanton has given the Yankees 35 home runs and 96 RBIs with a 278 batting average. That's what you call earning the contract. You notice we're not having as many conversations about, oh, John Carlos Stanton's making too much money. Why did the Yankees make that deal? Blah, 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 blah. Because he's carrying the team. When you're a hired gun, this is what you're expected to do. That's what Reggie Jackson was expected to do back in the late 1970s. He delivered. That's what Alex Rodriguez was expected to do. And remember, it took Alex Rodriguez in big spots, in big situations, a long time to get to the top of the mountain. Well, Stan is coming off a postseason where he was as good as anybody. So he has now shown you that he can rise to the occasion. These have been the biggest games of the year for the New York Yankees. And John Carl Stanton has been in the middle of everything. So you know what? I tweeted out my apology. Yankee fans, you should do the exact same thing. And I got news for you. When John Carl Stanton comes back to Yankee Stadium on Friday night, I will be in the building, we'll be at Yankee Stadium, looking forward to it. Hopefully it's not the last time I'm going to Yankee Stadium for the regular season, but I digress. Standing ovation. First inning, don't waste any time. Don't 
Hang around too late. It stands at Billy's. Get your ass in there for the bottom half of the first inning and give John Carlos Stanton the sort of ovation he deserves. That's how money he has been for the New York Yankees. The big stars performed, but guess what? The bullpen, which was much maligned a few weeks ago, all of a sudden looks a lot deeper and looks a heck of a lot better. And it's because you have starting pitchers transitioning into the bullpen looking great in the process. Michael King coming in for an injured Jamison Tyon looked terrific. I don't know if it's that pitch Corey Cooper showed him. I don't know if King is one of those guys just better suited to pitch out of the bullpen, but he's been fabulous. Severino, we talked about this over the weekend. He's a legit weapon. This guy was an all-star starter. He's like a caged animal ready to unleash. Remember, he hasn't pitched basically for the last two years. So I'm sure the emotions are like through the roof right now with Seve. Adding those two, adding Herman, Green looks better. You got Holmes. You got Peralta. You're getting Loisega back tomorrow. All of a sudden, if you're Aaron Boone, guess what? You got options at your disposal to go mix and match and to be able to, dare I say, piece the game together. This is the deepest and the best the Yankee bullpen has looked all year. And a month ago, Jamison Tyon goes out with this sort of injury. The Yankees don't win this game. So now the Yankees have done bare minimum to what they needed to do in Toronto. But I'll take it a step further because I want home field advantage now. With the Boston Red Sox going to Baltimore, losing to the Baltimore Orioles. It's nice to see somebody else in the AL East lose to the Baltimore Orioles. The Yankee lead on the Red Sox is two. In reality, it's one because if there's a tiebreaker, remember, tie goes to the Boston Red Sox. So you can't finish tied if you're the New York Yankees. Got to have a lead over the Red Sox. But the Red Sox losing the Orioles. They've now lost four straight. They better snap out of it because Seattle at their heels. Toronto has three games left with Baltimore. This is going to be a chaotic finish over the final couple of days. But you want to make it easier for the Yankees. Go split the next two games. Win two out of three in Toronto. Put Toronto basically in the rearview mirror because you'll be three up on them if you go and take this series. And then find a way to get home field advantage so that come next Tuesday, the wild card game is in the boogie down Bronx. And I am at the bodega and I am in good spirits and we are rocking and we are rolling and we parlay bodega into Yankee baseball into a green room postgame show where we're hopefully, fingers crossed, getting ready for the American League Division Series. I know there is a long way to go. There are still five games left here in this regular season. Game by game. This was a biggie for the Yankees, setting the tone at the run. You could not get swept in this series. And what I love so much is that they've basically parlayed the momentum of what you saw in Boston to hopefully this series here against the Jays. Cole on Wednesday. Don't love Cooper on Thursday. I'll sign right now for one of the next two games. One of the next two games that I think you're sitting pretty when it comes to October baseball. And that, about a week and a half ago, would have been spectacular to think about. It's crazy how these just expectations of the ultimate roller coaster with the 2021 Yankees. So buckle up, buckle up. Five more to go in the regular season. Now, the Mets are playing out the string. You know, I saw this today. 
Cohen and the Mets talking about like this entertainment and comedians and all this other nonsense. You know what Mets fans want, Steve? And you should know this better than anybody because you're a diehard Mets guy. You bleed the orange and blue. They want to win them. The Mets fan doesn't want to hear about comedy shows. The Mets fan doesn't want to hear about this extracurricular nonsense that's going on at the stadium. They want to hear about wins. I saw that headline today. I'm like, yeah, the Mets are going to get ripped. When you are out of it and you're playing out the string and Noah Syndergaard is basically towing the rubber for the first time just because he hasn't pitched in two years and he wants to remember what it feels like. And then you got the news about the DeGrom injury. He's officially out for the year. Well, thanks for telling us something we didn't already know. I mean, basically, for the last six weeks, we've known Jacob DeGrom was not coming back. Mets didn't want to let us know. Hey, you believed. If you were sucking in and thinking he was pitching in 2021, shame on you. But the Mets want a winner. That means changing the look and changing the feel of the organization top to bottom. Front office, managerial, players, you name it. So it's going to be a quiet couple of days out of City Field. And hopefully the party has only just begun in the Bronx. I hope I'm popping bubbly at Stu Finers on Thursday. Wouldn't that be something? We do our Thursday pod, maybe popping some bubbly. We'll be at Stu's for that. I'm looking forward to it. You could dare to dream now. You could dare to dream. That is now seven straight for the New York Yankees, for those of you keeping score at home. Magic number of three clinching a postseason spot. Just get me in the dance, baby. Just get me in the dance. We got a loaded show. We'll get to all the football stuff. And you had Phil Sims coming out in defense of John Mara. You have a lot of heat right now on the New York Jets from a variety of different places as far as heat on the quarterback. Heat on the play calling. Heat on just about everything with the way they have looked and how non-competitive they have been. Max Homa, who is one of my dudes on the PGA Tour, one of the rising stars on the PGA Tour, he's going to join this podcast. And my audio was a little out of whack in traveling back. So it might be a little louder than normal, just so you know. But everything's good on that front. We got trivia Q&A with JJ. We got voicemails. And we got a pick. The Jags, Bengals, bucket off Thursday night. That is going to be a... Uh, Bomb burner of a football game. They're getting all those bad Thursday night games out of the way until Fox gets in the way. So hopefully that'll change come next week. All right, football and some voicemails. That's coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, so before we get to some voicemails, I have a request for the Jets come Sunday. And it's not even a win because I'm not an idiot. I understand that they're a seven-and-a-half-point talk against the Tennessee Titans and the chances of them slowing down Derrick Henry, slowing down Ryan Tannehill, and slowing down the Tennessee offense are probably minuscule. But here's my request for the Jets. Can you be more watchable? Can you be more entertaining? And my ask is a simple one. Can you start scoring some damn points? Jeez. Listen to these numbers three weeks into the year. Because these came across my way. I read a great piece by Adam Beasley. I wanted to reference these. The Jets rank last in first downs. 15 per game. 
Last in interception rate. 31st in sack rate. 30th in yards per game. 30th in yards per play. 30th in passing yards per game. Yards per pass and red zone efficiency. Holy moly, that is pathetic. That is absolutely pathetic. And I'd say so far from what I've seen, Zach Wilson has had plenty of moments where he's made some inexcusable throws. Week three, taking on Fangio's defense, he didn't have a prayer. He didn't have a chance. Whether it was drop passes, whether it was missed blocks, whether it was just confusion, it was a nightmare watching that game. And it felt like one of those bad SEC games. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When you got like an Alabama or you got a Georgia taking on somebody who's inferior in the conference, and you ba- you know basically from the opening possession of the game, oh my goodness, this is going to be ugly. That's exactly what it was against the Broncos. Now, I'm not pressing the panic button yet on this quarterback. Am I legitimately concerned about the scheme that I've seen from a first-year coordinator and Mr. LaFleur? I absolutely am. You know, he came highly regarded. His brother's a head coach with the Green Bay Packers, so I think a lot of people were of the mindset, hey, LaFleur works for Kyle Shanahan. He's going to be ready to call plays right away. So far, this offense has been boring. They have looked clueless. They have lacked any sort of imagination. And I think a lot of the heat for the early season woes of the Jets, partially talent, partially inexperienced at quarterback, but the play calling and the scheme so far, it's reminded me exactly what I saw Adam Gates last year. And that's not a good thing. That's not a compliment. So, Russillo's great, by the way. I, I, I need to meet Russillo because he just seems like one of those dudes. He gets it. He lives on Manhattan Beach. He loves college football on Saturday. He works with Steve Cerruti, so we have a uh, mutual buddy in common. He had Dilfer on the show. And I like Trent doing the quarterback stuff. I do. I think he's well-connected. I-, I think as far as analyzing the position, he's on his game. He had some interesting things to say about the first-year signal call for the New York Jets. Let's take a listen. You're seeing his Achilles heel pop up early, which is he waits for something bigger and better to happen. He works everything down instead of working it up. I love the kid. I think the kid's going to be good if they have these hard conversations with him in the building and say, listen, here's what you did at BYU. It got you some trouble. You also did some cool stuff. In the NFL, it's going to mainly get you in trouble. And let's watch this guy, number 12, who's 63 years old and 10 times the player you are. And let's watch him work things. Same concept. I, what I would do is I'd take the Bucks running a concept. In fact, I'd go back to the Patriots. I'd pick out a Patriots concept. Same concept we're running here with the Jets. And I'd match it against the same coverage. And I'd watch Tom Brady throw up four yards, six yards, three yards, two yards, six yards, eight yards. And then I'd, watch, I'd show you turning down the six, four, three, two, eight. Be like, you have to be an idiot to not try to do it like Tom Brady. I wish somebody would have done that with me. Somebody would have done that with me. I, not that dumb. I, I would have figured out really quick, oh, it's okay to take the flat route with the strong safety driving on it at four yards. We're only going to get a three-yard gain. Yep, on first down, that's perfectly fine. I don't need to wait for that slant to come behind it or that dig to come behind like I did in college. Nope. Get the ball out of your hand. Play the long game. 
if he learns that, he's going to be great. Guess what? If he doesn't learn that and you still see the bouncing around and the eyes doing this, Mac Jones' eyes, boom, boom, boom. Zach Wilson's eyes, he's like a teenage boy that I coach with ADHD. Like they're looking everywhere. Um, If that doesn't get fixed, bust. Just looking everywhere. Not just next team, bust. Because you're not talented enough. There's nobody talented enough to play that way. Patrick Mahomes learning from Alex Smith, the biggest thing I saw when he took over the reins wasn't the flash and sizzle. It was the discipline of playing the position like Alex played it because Alex had to play it that way. And holy crap, I'm Patrick Mahomes and Superman. When it doesn't work, I can go do some other stuff. That's fascinating. By the way, Surdy, we got to have Bill for on the podcast. Let's let's make that happen over the next couple of weeks. That was some fantastic analysis. And I think what Trent is saying is fair and it's reasonable. You need to make quick decisions in the NFL. And if you think you're going to be able to go down the field and, and turn chicken shit into chicken salad, play after play after play, it is not going to end well. You're not playing in the Mountain West Conference anymore. Now, I think part of that is schematics, quite frankly. I think if you are the Jets' offensive coaching staff, you have to be stressing to this young quarterback, get the ball out of your hands quicker. Let's make quicker decisions. Let's take some easier throws, safer throws, to get our offensive rhythm, to get the wheels in motion. So I'm not going to pin all of that blame on Trent Dilfer, or Trent Dilfer, on, on Zach Wilson. Trent Dilfer got plenty of blame thrown his way, uh, you know. The amount of interceptions he threw or the lack of blase offense you saw. Listen, Dilfer, God bless him, won a Super Bowl. He probably hates hearing all the time that he was like the worst quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl. He's in that conversation. Hey, need you one. I mean, you wouldn't want to be Trent Dilfer over Dan Marino, but hey, I digress. I digress. Simplify things in that jet offense. Now, before we get to voicemails, John Mayer is feeling the heat. It is obvious. It's as queer as day. From the booze he heard Sunday, and I know a lot of Giant fans who were at that game who booed him out of the building. A lot of them, including Social Jeff, who I think was like leading the fire Mara chance that might have been uh, cascading down MetLife Stadium. He might have been leading the charge for all we know. He or Alex in Brooklyn. I don't know. He's one or the other. Because they're not exactly rah-rah John Mara kind of guys. It's amazing how John Mara went from this owner who in many ways, it was Teflon, to an owner now who is very much maligned and is very much under the microscope because of what you've seen with the Giants over the last nine years. He's feeling it. That's why. You're getting booed. You're kicking garbage cans after losing and falling to 0-3 again. And you're the man responsible for a lot of these decisions, like hiring Dave Gettleman. Signing off on drafting Daniel Jones. And listen, Daniel Jones has not been a giant problem this year. Are you in love with the fact of Daniel Jones being a star in this league? No, probably not. And we're not there yet because it's three games into the season. But Blake Martinez is out for the year. That's a massive blow to the giant defense. It's just signal caller. He was one of your best defensive players last year. He's out. If I'm the Giants... Evan Ingram's ass is on the bench, and I'm playing Kyle Rudolph more. I'm telling you that right now. I can't deal with Evan Ingram's bullshit. I'm sorry. I don't want to hear how athletic he is or how talented he is. He stinks. He stinks. He cannot catch the ball. He fumbles the ball. You can't count on him, and he's a brutal blocker. 
No, I don't need to play Evan Ingram. I have enough guys who can make plays on the outside. Sit his ass down. Why am I supposed to believe against New Orleans on Sunday and with the stretch of games the Giants have coming up that anything's going to change? Like I said on Sunday, and I was not exaggerating when I said this, the Giants play well over their next seven games. They're going three and four. That's if they play well. Have you seen the schedule? They play well and go three and four. They're three and seven. And I'm sorry, this is not going to be a year in the NFC East where a sub-500 team is winning the division. Hurts was embarrassing yesterday. By the way, you know, somebody tweeted, JJ, what was the logic in you picking the Eagles? You know what the logic was? Stupidity. Sometimes you just got to own it. You know, we had a really good start to the NFL year, and I love the week three card. Oh, moly, it ate my lunch. Kicked my ass. I was lucky to get a win. I was lucky the Dolphins covered for me. I'd be staring 0-5 in the face. Hurts looked awful in that game. Absolutely awful. And the Cowboys, Dak is dialed in. Now, we'll see about his injuries. We'll see if he's able to get through the entire season. If he is, despite Mike McCarthy, they're going to find their way to 9 or 10 wins. On what planet are the Giants getting to 9 or 10 wins? I mean, you tell me. You could call me a cynic. You could call me a hater. You could call me whatever the hell you want. On what planet are the Giants getting to a winning season after what you've seen three weeks into the year and knowing what they have left on the schedule? I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm actually in a fantastic mood, but I've got to call it like I see it. So I think John Mara might be kicking a few more garbage cans between now and then. Voicemail time. 917-382-1151. Before we get to those, a couple of programming reminders. Wednesday, after Garrett Cole, Green Room. Download the app. Follow me. They're magic. If you love live reaction to these games and you like getting in and involving yourself in the party and the convo, make sure your ass is on Green Room. That's not even a friendly reminder. I'm telling you, you like this show and you better get your ass on Green Room because we're going to be on there a ton, hopefully, over the next couple of weeks throughout the Yankee playoff run. That's number one. Number two, Thursday is going to be just off the rails. I'm, uh, I'm just telling you that point blank. Between all our football stuff and we will have the great Stu Finer joining us and I will be at the Stu Compound for Thursday Night Football and I will be there for the Thursday night game. And we may have a special guest joining us from the compound at Stu's. So there, there's a lot of elements in play right about now. A lot of elements in play. All right, voicemail time. And if you're wondering how to do that, 917-382-1151. Surity, hit it. JJ, Anthony and Syosset, uh 7-2 in the ninth inning. I doubt they blow this. Uh, I would put Severino in to pitch the ninth. It looked like he had the lefty warming up. I don't understand that, but anyway, whatever. Uh, listen, Kay hit the nail on the head when you had him on last week and you were saying that you thought six and three over the next nine. I agreed with you. He said seven and two, but he also said it's about where those wins come from. And I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams could have imagined they went four straight here, three in Fenway and one in Toronto. Um, I, I, I think at this point you have to say them playing in the one-game playoff next Tuesday is all but a lock. Um, shout out to the Baltimore Orioles. That's fucking insane what they were able to do tonight. 
tomorrow, next game of the season, Stanton heating up at the right time, the possibility of you and I having a bourbon and a cigar in the bodega next Tuesday is becoming more and more realistic as each inning passes. I don't know how the hell you define the type of season this has become so far, uh, but the playoffs have started, and this team is performing at its best in terms of pitching, in terms of clutch hitting, in terms of defense, minus Sanchez, who I am done with. They are performing at their best at the right time, I hope they can keep it going here for a few more weeks. Disco J. That's the great Anthony and Sayasa. A couple of things there. I'm not locking up a playoff spot yet. The Yankees got to still get one of the next two games in Toronto, and then I'll be on that path. Talk to me on Thursday. Number two, I think it's now imperative for the Yankees to do two things after they clinch a playoff spot. One, make sure you're in so that Garrett Cole is on an extra day of rest and is ready to rock next Tuesday. You don't want Cole pitching Sunday, needing to get in, blah, blah, blah. No. You want Garrett Cole with extra rest dialed in. The second thing you want, you want that game at Yankee Stadium. I don't want to go to Boston again. I want to leave Boston on a high note, quite frankly, which is last weekend, shooting off my lasting image of Fenway Park. Not Kike Hernandez. No, no. Not Nathan Evaldi. No, no. The moonshot that still hasn't landed from our new favorite son, Giancarlo. That is what I want the lasting image of Yankees Red Sox to be. And I want them out. Yeah, I do. I do. As entertaining as a Yankee Red Sox wildcard game would be, I, I don't think my stress levels, I, I, I don't think my sanity could handle it. I, I really don't. And, and I'd like to see Bill from Los Angeles score him over the next couple of days. I can tell he's in meltdown mode. But Nat and Brady coming back to New England, like I, I want this to be meltdown time for Bill from Los Angeles. And it's a shame. I actually talked to Bill from Los Angeles, his father over the weekend, who is an absolute gentleman. He is a sweetheart. He's a great dude, despite his flawed sports perspective. But I wish them nothing but pain over the next few days. I love them both. I really do. But nothing but pain. Who's up next? JJ, Charles, and Queens here. Um, love the show. I just want to give you a message here. Um, it's not a Jets. And Joe Douglas, if he's starting to concern me, I've not been impressed with drafts so far. I don't think he, there's enough impact players. And even the best of the draft and the high best of them, he's always hurt. And number two, I don't understand why they did not pick up a veteran quarterback for backup quarterback. Well, backup quarterback, nobody's ever heard of. And there were options out there, like Nick Foles, like Gardner, Mitchell, and Cam Newton, having a Patriots habit of him. It seems insane. They could have started the, the, uh, the veteran quarterback beginning of the season until Zach was ready, or at the very least, somebody who could mentor Zach until he uh, as the season goes on and help him improve. And I don't think he's getting enough of that. Anyway, thanks for taking the call. Hopefully, we'll be at Yankee Stadium on Tuesday night going crazy. Thanks. Well, I like that sentiment. And you know what? I'm going to acknowledge something that I didn't think was a huge deal going back to July. I wish the Jets would have brought in a veteran quarterback. There is a disclaimer in that. You mentioned guys like Minshew, Simmons' favorite son, 
You mentioned Cam Newton. I don't want those guys. And I'm going to tell you why I don't want those guys. Those guys have no intention of being mentors. Cam Newton wants to play. Gardner Minshew's a young guy. He wants to play. Somebody along the lines of a Josh McCown or a Joe Flacco or somebody who kind of knows what their role is at this point in the NFL probably would have been beneficial to Zach. But basically what the Jets are telling you is we're not taking this kid out of games. He's taking his lumps. He's going to grow. He's going to learn or else. He's got to simplify things. The Jet offense needs to simplify things. they got to get into an offensive rhythm. Because honestly, with the exception of the garbage time that we saw in the fourth quarter against the Carolina Panthers, this team hasn't gotten into an offensive rhythm at any point this year. And that's what you need to see. Long, sustained drives. Keeping the defense off the field. Get that going. And guess what? The big plays will start to come. And you need guys to cooperate. Guys like Corey Davis got to catch the ball. But I want to simplify this going into Sunday. And Tennessee's defense is no great chase. Tennessee is probably going to drop 30-plus points on the Jets. They score a lot of points. They're an explosive offense. Their defense does not scare me. This should be a game the Jets score 20-plus points. If they don't, there is a massive, massive problem here. Not even asking for a win. I'm not even asking for a cover. I'm asking for some watchable football. I'm asking for some points. Can you entertain me on Sunday? And I'm not just trying to sound like a total jerk. The Jets so far this year have been an absolute bore. And they have been over the last couple of years. They were last year when they were tanking games. They were two years ago when Donald got hurt. Like, they have had three years of football where, like, I come on the air and it's like not much to add as far as what you're seeing on the field because it's putting you to sleep. Give me something to watch. Like the Giants, I'll give them this. They're losing games that crash and burn fast. And they're doing so rather consistently. Jets, over the first three games of this year, they're picking up right where they left off under Adam Gase. They're getting their asses whooped. That's got to change. It's got to change. Who's next? JJ, what's up? Danny from Edison. Ah, I'm a giant fan. And JJ, I, I I don't know. I'm like at a wall here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. Seeing John Merrick at Bood at Eli Manning's uh, ceremony was both satisfying and sickening at the same time. And I'm sure you know, he's why for both. But as far as I'm concerned, from Mara down, it is a clown show, JJ. It's a fucking clown show. Dave Gettleman cannot remain here. And even the coach, JJ, I don't want to fire the coach, okay? I know, I know that firing coaches over and over again is horrible, but I also think that being half pregnant doesn't work either. These teams that fire the GM and keep the coach or keep the coach, fire the GM, it never works. So if you're going to get rid of Dave Gettleman, which they almost have to unless something drastically changes, you got to bring in a GM, let him hire him, the coach. It doesn't have to be someone connected to the giant organization like, like Mara wants. You know, we're all realizing John Mara is not Wellington. He came in with an infrastructure in place, and he used that infrastructure to win two more Super Bowls, and we all thought, oh, it was a seamless transition father to son. We see now years later that it was not. So you know what? There's probably going to be two premium picks in this draft. 
Giants pick, Bears pick. After watching what the Bears look like, could be two top 10, top seven, who knows? If Dave Gettleman is allowed to make those picks, then JJ, I, I, I may be finished. I, I don't know what else to say. I may be finished. He cannot make those picks under any circumstances. I'd rather you or I make them. But uh, anyway, man, beat the Yankee game Friday night, man. Beers on me if you're around. All right, later. Well, Danny, I will be at the Yankee game. Tweet me. Send me an Instagram message. I love to connect for a beverage. That's number one. Number two, Dave Gettleman's making those picks for the New York Giants. Something went horribly, horribly wrong. Whether the Giants forced Gettleman into retirement at the end of the year or he's let go and relieved of his duties, he can't be this team's general manager anymore. I'm sorry. Look at the record over the last couple of years. Think about some of the decisions and the thought process and just the way he's gone about his business. It's been completely unacceptable. And I have been the leader of the hate train when it comes to Dave Gettleman for quite a while, basically since he's taken over the job. I mean, he's made so many moves since he's taken over the job that I absolutely detested. Starting with the Saquon Barkley pick. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. I feel like I've been killing this general manager on a regular basis. Trying to win in 2018. Look at some of his draft picks that have not panned out. And it's a results-oriented business, folks. Look at the giant results since he's become the general manager. The Patriot. Judge got to do a better job. I thought he did a fine job in his first year. I think he's off to a very shaky and a very questionable start in his second year. I'm not ready to discuss his future yet. And I do believe you can actually make it work with a new general manager. I do. And if it doesn't work and you don't like Joe Judge the following year, all right, we'll have this conversation again next year. The bigger issue is the scouting, the drafting, the overall infrastructure. With Gettleman takes a major, major hit, but it also goes beyond Gettleman. And this is where John Mayer has got to take some heat for the way the Giants are handling their business. You know, the Giants used to mock the Jets for years for years about the sort of clown show narrative that they had attached to their franchise at times. Giants are right there with them. You know, I saw this the other day. Basically, since I think 2017, the Jets and the Giants are tied for the worst record in the NFL. 18 and 49. So when I mention my disgust and my disdain of breaking down these football teams on a week-in and week-out basis, there's some basis to my opinions, folks. Listen to that. 18 and 49. Whoa. That's some unwatchable football. I knew I wasn't hallucinating. Who's next? JJ, Pete in Westchester, man. How are you? Uh, Tuesday, I'm just, I'm absolutely stewing over the Giants, man. I, I can't get over this loss. This is just so, it's just, it's brutal, man. And, you know, it's important not only for this season, but it's important for the overall culture and the overall thing of, of what we're trying to build here with Joe Judge, right? This is a game you have to win. You just have to win it. Again, you're 0-2, and it's not just because you're 0-2, but it's because it sets the tone for the rest of the season. It sets the tone for the, the program Judge is trying to build here with, with you know, it's just, you got Eli in the building, legends, you know, probably one of the, going to go down in history, one of the best Giants of all time. Obviously, we know this. 
and you just shit yourselves and you lose 17-14 to a not very good Falcons team. You're in your home building, your fans are pumped. It's just, you could go on and on about it, about how horrible and what a horrible, horrible sign this is for what's going on here. John Mara is getting booed. You know, the guy clearly can't figure it out. And Gettleman, I mean, it's almost, it's just like, what is with this fucking guy? You know, let's move on. We need something. We clearly need something new, you know, here in place. But, but in the short term, let's move on from Jason Garrett, man. You know, when we drafted Tony, high, you know, debatable pick. Clearly, Jason Garrett has no idea what to do with this guy. So, you know what? Seen enough of JG or whatever we want to call you, coach. Well, you're going to be fired. You're going to be unemployed soon. How about that? So, we need something, man. But anyway, I'm sorry for the rant here, but I'm just incredibly frustrated. And it seems like the Giants couldn't even make it to Halloween. And be looking forward to the Knicks very soon. Who would have thought? What a crazy thing that is to say here in the year of our Lord 2021. All right, bro. Show's been great lately. Really love the NFL stuff and uh, hope to call soon. Thanks. You said Halloween. The Giants haven't even made it to the end of September. As I said on Sunday, it's late September. I really should be back at school and the Giants stink. I love when I can drop in a Maggie May reference whenever I can. It's a great song. It's on the golf playlist for those of you keeping score. Need a little watch through it in my life. The Giants will go up against a team and a quarterback that loves to turn the football over. But what confidence do you have in what's going to be a jazzed-up New Orleans crowd in their home opener because the Green Bay game was moved to Jacksonville? What confidence do you have that the Giants are going to go and win that game? It's impossible to have. You know, I'm in a survivor pool in the circuit contest. And I'm partnering up with two other guys. One of them, the great uh, Bob's in Brooklyn. And he roots Giants. And he told me, I want to take the Saints as one of our picks because we're getting strategic and, you know, Buffalo is too obvious, even though they're clearly the way to go about it. But I want to save them because you want to win a monster, monster pool like that. Sometimes you got to get cute. Sometimes you got to take a couple of chances. Um, I'm all for taking the Saints because I cannot see the Giants winning this game. I can't. And basically his response was, they crushed my soul every week. I can't have them crush my soul by actually winning a game. That's kind of where it's at if you're a Giant fan. Having these sort of decisions that are in front of you that are not ideal, that are not pleasant. But again, go through the next seven games. Tell me how they're going four and three. I'd love to know. Because if they're three and seven, I don't care what they have on the back half of their schedule, they're cooked. It's trivia time. Trivia Q&A with JJ. And listen, I don't know who's hotter right now. John Carlos stand on my trivia performance. I don't know. I don't know. Take your pick. We've been on fire. We've been pulling some rabbits out of the hat. And I heard that we have a lot of questions coming my way. So I, I, I can sense that the audience is a little annoyed with my success, which is fine. Because you know what? Sometimes you got to be humble in more ways than one. Let's get one right out of the gate. Hey, JJ, Sean Lyon. Thanks for taking the call, man. Listen, I was hoping to call you about some good Jet stuff this early in the season. But you know what? I'm going to go back to the old reliable Q&A with JJ. It's the only thing that gives me hope anymore these days, man. So thanks so much. Um, going to the better days of the Jets, you know, they always say that since John Abraham left, the Jets have never found a true rusher of the quarterback. So, JJ, John Abraham left in 2005 after that season. I'm wondering, can you give me the player with the highest sack total for the Jets in a single season since that happened. So post-2005, 
a single season high for Jets sacks. I'll give you the total. It was 12. I'm going to leave out the year, make it tricky for you. But 12 sacks since John Abraham left. Who is this player? Thanks so much, JJ. Good luck. That's a terrific, terrific question. Most sacks since John Abraham, 12 since 2005. I actually have a pretty good guess here. I'm not positive it's going to be a right guess and an accurate guess, but I'm throwing it out there anyway. I'll give you that answer when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So, good question from Sean. The Jets have not exactly had pass rusher extraordinaires over the last 15 years or so. The guy I'm going to guess right out of the gate, I'm going to go with old reliable. He was on the team for a long time. He wasn't a prototypical edge rusher, but I think in one or two of those years, he had a monster sack year. So I'm going to say most jet sacks since 2005, Sean Ellis. Wow. Wow. All for one right out of the gate. That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. You know, I felt pretty good about that one, too. The second guess I'm going to throw out, and I am definitely not confident in this answer, but I kind of got to go through guys who might have been able to accumulate some sacks over the years. Shorty, how about Brian Thomas? Oh, for two. It's a good question from Sean. See, that's what happens when you put the good old announcer's jinx on yourself like I just did. That's like saying I've been putting great, and then you walk up to the first tee and you throw a three-putt on the scorecard right away. That's basically what I just did right about now. I'm going to take one more stab at this, and then I'm going to wave the white flag, and I'm going to call it a day on this one because I've already whiffed on Sean Ellis. I have already whiffed on Brian Thomas. Most sacks, it was double digits. You know? I think it might be Jamal Adams. Wow. Okay. Well, Saruti, I'm waving the white flag because I don't know where I'm going with this one. So, who would that jet be, my friend? Um, You were interior defensive lineman. Okay. Um, uh, Temple? Interior defensive lineman. This was 2015 as well. Oh, it was, I think it was a first oh, round Muhammad, pick. Too. Muhammad Wilkerson. Oh, that's annoying. Sacks yeah, I'm annoyed about it. I should have known that. You know what? He was a good player for like a couple years. He now. had a one or two year run with the Jets where he played at a very, very high level. That's unacceptable on my part. I, I could have thrown out Sheldon Richardson too. See, I didn't know if Muhammad Wilkerson actually got the double digit sacks. So. I'm glad I got it after the fact, but it took me way too long. Good hint there with the Temple Owl. Very good hint. Okay. Question number two, because I'm off to a roaring start right about now. What do we got? JJ, Larry in Florida. I got two here for you tonight. When was the last year? What was the last year both MVPs did not make the postseason? And the second one is, who was the last second baseman to have a 30 100, 30 homer, 100 RBI season. 
I'm out. Good stuff, Larry. I am going to start with your second base question. The last second baseman to have a 3100 season. I have one or two guesses I'm going to throw out. I am going to say guess number one. Don't you know Robbie Cano? Wow, I am whiffing tonight. I am not on my trivia game. Guess number two, Jose Altuve. Ooh, okay. Last second baseman, 30 and 100. Suri, I'm going to ask for a hint here. Yeah, no problem. Because I'm not off to a good start tonight. Is he an American League player or a National League player? American League. Okay. Is no longer plays for the same team that he did this on, by the way. Ooh. American League player, no longer on the same team. So he, hmm, okay. Very good question. Very, very good question. I'm like going through second basements in my head. Still an active player, I assume. Yes. Still an active player. Active player, second base. He got traded the year after. Oh, interesting. Because I was going to throw Ozzy Albies out there, and obviously that would not be the answer. Got traded the year after. Oh, man. Is it Brian Dozier? I threw that, you know, somebody threw that out on me last week, so I just wanted to throw his name out there. Damn. I am not. Not on my game, folks. Well, how about want me to give you the team he did it for? Yeah, sure. Why not? Baltimore Orioles. Jonathan Scope. That's a tough Tough question. Tough one. That's a tough one. Plays for the Tigers now. I'm actually proud that I rallied there and got that one right, but that was a tough question. Very, very tough question. People are bringing it. They're not happy with you. Yeah, that's the thing. When you have success, it's like your handicap goes up. We're not going to allow you to hit from the white tees anymore. We're going to push it back. Or, you know, we're going to lower that handicap a little bit. That's basically me, except my handicap's going up. So who are we kidding? Now, last year, we had two MVPs in baseball who both did not make the postseason. Wow, that is a really, really tough question. JJ, let me just tell you, I had to call Larry. I called Larry. So he can give me the answer. That's how hard it was even to just look this up. Oh, this is a difficult wow. one. So that means this did not happen anytime soon. Well, uh, no, it didn't. <laughs> I mean, you and I, I do not believe we're born. Oh, there's no chance I'm going to get it. How about this? Then? How about this? Give me a decade. 80s. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to throw out a guess. For the AL MVP. Was it Don Mattingly? See, he was an 80s MVP. That's why I threw it out there. Oh, my God. I'm never going to get this. I mean, I'm never. How about this, Rudy? (laughs) We're going to give Larry the W, but I want some hints. So, are these iconic players of the 80s? Um, Kind of. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I... Icons a tough. That's a stretch. I wouldn't. I don't know if they're icons or they're they're MVPs. They're good players. Hall, Hall of Fame players. Uh, see, this is me, not a huge baseball fan. So this is uh, let's see. How about 
Let me look this up. Hold on. I like this creativity right about now. See, Larry was was ticked off at me. He was mad at Harmon Killebrew. He was one mad them, at Javi Lopez. One of them, no. Doesn't appear that either of them are Hall of Famers. Oh, my God. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just an impossible. You're not how about, how about this, then? I'm asking for another very simple hint. What teams did they do it for? Uh... Larry, that's how good your trivia question is, buddy. I need all these hands, so I wouldn't have a prayer. One was for the Cubs, and the other one was for the Blue Jays. Okay, so the Cubs, I'm going to say it was Ryan Sandberg. <clears throat> and if it wasn't Ryan Sandberg, then it was Andre Dawson. Okay. All right, I got Andre Dawson. Blue Jays. Oh, man. Blue Jays MVP did not go to the postseason. Holy smokes. Outfielder. Is it George Bell? Correct. You know what? I'm actually <laughs> taking victory on that because that was an impossible question. Legitimately impossible. In fact, I think if we put that up as a Old question and people did not cheat and go on Twitter. Sorry, I think 99% of our audience whiffs on that one. Oh, I mean, I, I think everyone other than Larry would have whipped on that. Well, listen, Larry brought the fire. Give credit where credit is due. So it was 1987, by the way, and I was also confused because I didn't know if this was a trick question because you could also say the 94 strike year, they gave out MVPs and nobody made the playoffs. So I was like, is this a trick question? He said, no, it is an actual So he year. was but not that referencing that 1994. You're right about that. That technically was the year, but uh, no, 1987. That would have been a very trick question. Very much a trick question. All right, last but not least, I see the trivia is hot and heavy tonight. Let's hear it. What's going on, JJ? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. I got two trivia questions for you. One is not a good omen for the Orange during the 2010-11 season was the loss in their second ex ex exhibition game to a local and much smaller NCAA Division II school. What school was this? My second uh, trivia is this was the Bush push game back in 05 on Notre Dame's second possession in the first quarter, Brady Quinn's pass was intercepted by who, which led to a Reggie Bush 56-yard rushing touchdown. Those are two terrific questions from Stewie. And Stewie right now is probably fired up about his Irish and is probably sick about his Giants, full disclosure. Um, the Syracuse one is easy. And that was my senior year, 2009 into 2010. Jim Beheim played man-to-man -man against LeMoyne. And lost. That was easy. And Tough Syracuse, one. by the way, that year went like 32 and two. They were a number one seed. And I still say to this day, if Arenze Onowaku did not blow out his ACL in the quarterfinals of the Big East tournament, Syracuse would have won the national championship that year. There's not a doubt in my mind. That was that Fagazi Duke team that won it. That was the Wall Cousins team that I wanted to play so badly. Um, I'm trying to think who the other great team was that year. Kansas, who ended up losing to Farouk Namesh and Northern Iowa. I remember watching that game in Buffalo. Had Northern Iowa. Might have had Northern Iowa on the money line, for those of you keeping score at home. So you remember the wins. 
Now, you mentioned a USC player to get an interception in that famous 2005 regular season game. That was a that was a terrific college football game. One of the favorite college football games that I remember over the last 20 years, USC and Notre Dame. I'm not positive about this answer. And that USC team was loaded. They had NFL talent galore. I'm going to throw out a guess here. The interception was from Ray Manaluga. Mm. Yeah, I Close. Took a, I took a stab. Was it a linebacker or a corner? It was a linebacker. Close. Oh, uh, I believe both these got so uh, he also went in the first round. Um, I believe. Did he have a solid NFL career or not really? Um, eh, I wouldn't say he was okay. USC 2005 linebacker. I believe all three of their linebackers, I believe all three of them went in the first round. All right, I'm asking, Sorority, I'm asking for a hint here, buddy. Um, this this linebacker he was drafted where, by the Cincinnati Bengals. Ooh, same as Ray Manaluga for those of you keeping score at home. Drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, USC linebacker. Oh man, did he play anywhere else in the NFL? Play for the Giants. Oh boy. Played for the Giants. Two years. Don't think they were memorable. Oh, Jesus. He was a good player in college. I mean, he was a he was a very good player in college. Obviously, he went in the first round. This is gonna annoy me. Played for the Giants. Linebacker. Good player. It's not Antonio Pierce. I know that. It's not Antonio Pierce. Linebacker for the Giants, came from Cincinnati. Damn, I don't know this. So, Rudy, I got to be honest, I do not know. I think you're gonna you're gonna be annoyed when you hear it. Keith Rivers. You could have given me a hundred guesses. <laughs> I did not remember Keith Rivers, and I know some he's Giant player. fans. He had a solid career. You're right about that. But, but like, he he's a name, I don't think there was anything special. It's a name that kind of has eluded me over the years. Does that make sense? Like. I think about USC linebackers from that team. Like, Monoluga came off the tip of my tongue immediately. Brian Cushing, I think, was the other Cushing, one, right? But I didn't remember Cushing as a giant. Cushing, you're absolutely right, was on. I don't know if he was he on that team or was he there a little later? Uh, he was always a nut job, man. It felt like he had the, the, the veins were popping out of his head. He was taking all sorts of steroids. I mean, the guy, the guy was basically suspended for steroids like every other week in the NFL. Yeah. So yeah. I remember Brian Cushing and I remember Monoluga. Keith Rivers, though. Yeah, yeah well no, done. hold on. That's a good, uh, that's a good Keith job. Keith was drafted in 08, and the other two were drafted in 09. Rough performance for me with trivia, but you know what? I give you guys credit. You did not take it easy on me. You said, enough of JJ and his hot streak. We're taking him down. We're taking him down hard. So, tip chat. Much respect. When we come back, and remember, my audio is going to be a little loud here. It's fooling around with my recorder, unfortunately. On my way back from Boston, I think the vibes from the John Carlos Stanton home run might have enhanced my audio a little bit. But Max Homa, who I think is one of the hot shots on the PGA Tour, really good guy. He joins us next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So I'm super geeked up about this, considering that I've taken up the sport over the last two years, and I'm not particularly good at it. So when I see guys that can hit bombs and can stick greens and can just play golf at like the highest of levels, I'm jealous. I'm not going to lie. No ifs, sends or buts. Let's welcome in a guy who's, I think, one of the rising stars on the PGA Tour. I think he's got big things ahead of him coming up over the next couple of years. Max Homo, what's happening, Max? There was happening. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you got into the game. Man. It's very addicting. Oh, you ain't kidding. And with COVID and trying to find something to do, I mean, my fiance may hate it, Max, but the idea of being out there with your boys, being able to go and play and compete. Like I think about guys from like your level and your standpoint. When was the moment for you? Was it at a young age? Did it happen when you were like 11, 12, where you're like, man, I am now full-fledged addicted to the game of golf. Yeah, I think I was addicted early. I can't remember exactly, but I do remember when I was 10 or 11, uh, asking my parents if they would, you know, take me to the course every day so I could try to do this for a living at some point. So uh, I just think, that, you know, it's a, it's a cool sport, man. You look at so many of these athletes after they finish their sport, they kind of come and start playing golf quite a bit. And it's because it, it is a uh, obviously a non-contact uh, activity that um, is highly competitive. So I think it just sucks everybody in. It's also impossible to perfect. So yeah, you go out there and uh, you you do your best to to uh, get a little bit better, and then even everybody at the highest level of golf can get a little bit better. So I think that's why everybody gets so so suckered into the game. So fast. well, I'm thinking about a guy like you, and I'm thinking about like this young generation of golfers. Golf's cool, you know? Like, you think about it, like, 20, 25 years ago, maybe before even, like, the Tiger sensation. And I got to ask you this before we get into that question. Were you a Tiger guy or a Phil guy? Oh, I was a Tiger guy. I was a Phil guy. That's because I'm a crazy lefty. That's why, you know? The (laughs) crazy lefties usually trend in that direction, Max. (laughs) I I hear that, yeah. The left-handed thing, if I was left-handed, it would be hard not to say I was a Phil guy, you know? It just, I feel like he'd 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 be the dude you'd look up to. But isn't it crazy how, like, the game of golf, with the way you guys are styling on the course, with the way it's become, like, so mainstream, it's no longer just this, like, country club type of game, you know? Like, it's like regular dudes getting in the game, falling in love with PGA players. As somebody who is on the PGA Tour, do you kind of look at it where you say, yeah, like, I want to represent, like, this like mainstream cool part of being a PGA golfer and getting the game of golf out there to as many people as possible. Yeah. hundred percent. That's like my biggest goal and hope for this game is, uh, it becomes more inclusive. I think it already is. I hope it becomes, gets younger, which I think it is. 
because it's not a, you know, it's not a, a, an older man's game as it used to be. I think, uh, you know, I, I grew up playing it very young. I know all the guys out there grew up playing it very young. Um, I grew up at a public golf course where it was still obviously really fun and, and, and everybody was out there still doing the same stuff, trying to get better. But, uh, I, I hope that it keeps going this way. I know Tiger Woods was a huge part of it, even just getting in shape and making it look a bit more like a sport, uh, having the, the players be a bit more, uh, you know, kind of in a bit, bit more in the gym, uh, bodies looking a little bit more athletic. Uh, and yeah, I think it, it's attracted a, a new crew of, uh, of younger people to get into the game and, and kind of carry, carry that throughout the, the next, uh, you know, couple of generations. So it's exciting. Um, it's really cool to see, uh, like I said, so many other, uh, athletes get on board with the game because it, it, it gives us a bit more, uh, credit amongst the, uh, the athletic community. Now, for you, you had a hell of a year, dude. I mean, you're winning playoffs. You know, you're dialed in. You feel you are progressing in your, you know, PGA Tour life the way you'd want to be. Like, are you satisfied right now with the 2021 season that you had? Or does it have you even hungry to get after it in 2022 and do some even bigger things? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I was fairly satisfied with the year. I came up short on a couple of things, but I, I won. Uh, I mean, I've won twice so far this year. Uh, I got a couple more events to go, but it, it it also makes you hungrier for sure because I think the once you start accomplishing some of your goals, you start winning golf tournaments, you realize just how fun that is, and then nothing can compare to how fun and how exciting those weeks are. So you want more of that. It's it's uh, it is addicting to want to go out there and keep getting better and keep be putting yourself in a position to win golf tournaments. It, uh, it's about as exciting as it gets. So, uh, yeah, I guess it, it's a little bit of both. I'm, I'm super stoked with my season. Uh, and I'm excited uh, about what I accomplished, but, uh, yeah, it makes me want bigger things for, for next year. As for far sure. as the work that you'll put in like throughout the winter, is it far more the idea of the mental game? Is it far more, tweaking this, tweaking that, maybe getting a couple extra yards here, maybe hitting it a little straighter there. Like, listen, for us amateurs, they're like, yeah, we hit an extra 15 yards. Awesome. We're in. You guys are like perfecting this craft. That's why you guys are as good as you are. That's why you get paid to do this. And, you know, every weekend you're busting your butt and you're on the PGA Tour playing these events. What is it that you really want to put the time in to work at throughout the winter? Yeah, I think it's a little bit. I think the beauty of the winter is we actually have time to do all of that. So I think it will be it will be a bit of uh, everything. I do actually want to gain a, a couple of yards. I, I hired a new trainer, and we're trying to. Get oh, you're not going all Bryson on us now. You're not no, going to come back totally, totally yoked, right? I can't get quite like that, but I got to get. You know, my hips don't move great, so I'm trying to get them to move a bit better. Uh, but yeah, I'll keep working on the mental game and, uh, you know, keep reading stuff. But I love the off season that we have. I know it's not long, but it gives you some some time to kind of uh, reflect on everything and, and get to kind of go out there and tweak things a bit more so than you can during the season. Because uh, you don't want to mess anything up that, that's working well during the season. So uh, in the winter, you get to kind of go try some new things and, and maybe try to, um, you know, like you said, gain a few yards here and there. So uh, it's a, it's an exciting uh, it's an exciting time, but uh, you know, it won't do anything too too crazy. Uh, I, I like where my game's at, so I'm not going to be going out there. You get a kick out of this Bryson Kepka nonsense. Do you find it entertaining? 
I used to. I'm a oh, you're kind of over it now. I want, I want one of those stepbrother shirts that they were rocking at the Ryder. I mean, Cup. the shirts are great. The week was great. Them being, I mean, it was cool that they, you know they 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 played played it in, into it and did a great job and won. And you know, it was funny and all of that was great. Um, but I just don't, I don't. <laughs> the beef, it, 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 it's good. It's it's funny, but um, I just don't. I don't really know why they don't like each other. So it's really difficult to like get behind it. I guess now. I can totally get that, dude. I can totally get that for you being a part of a Ryder cup team, winning a major. I mean, listen, they're both amazing, amazing feats, but I feel like golf is such an individual game. Like that's the, that, like if there's one thing you could do in your golf career, I tell you right now, there's one event you could win. I, what is it? Winning the masters. Yeah. I think it'd have to be winning the masters. Number one, for sure. I mean, it's always hard. The Ryder Cup's amazing. Getting to represent your country is like the coolest thing you could do. I did it in college and it's the most fun week I've ever had uh, playing golf. But that Masters is something different. You know, that's uh, that's just uh, uh, that's like the absolute pinnacle, I think, of our sports. So it would be hard to, hard to say anything other than uh, winning at Augusta. Is that your favorite course to play? My favorite course is Riviera in LA, um, but uh, Augusta is amazing. I mean, it's right up there. It's got to be number two. Um, but I grew up going to Riviera. Um, you know, I won at Riviera this year. It's always been my, I think, my favorite golf course as far as architecture goes. Uh, and yeah, it just holds like it holds all the cards for me. <laughs> it's got like every, uh, it wins every battle. It wins my hometown. It wins. I've had success there, and I actually think it's the best one we play. But Augusta is amazing, man. That that freaking golf. Versus, uh, it's just, it's like mind boggling. What do you guys think of the New York crowds when you guys get a chance? Because I'm, I do a New York podcast here for the Ringer, and us New Yorkers allowed, we get into it. We, uh, we treat Beth Page Black or Liberty National like it's Yankee Stadium or Madison Square Garden. And I, I was at the PGA Championship a couple of years ago, Max, and you might have heard me hooting and hollering for Phil. I was a part of a couple of those galleries. Are you guys playing a New York event saying, man, these people are just, they're into it. They are crazy. Like, what is it like playing here in some of these tournaments? Yeah, I like, I played that PGA at Beth Page. That was my first taste of like the New York crowds of, for being inside the ropes. And it's different. I like the passion. I actually don't mind. I don't mind heckling. I don't mind yelling. Uh, I, it gets me, it gets me juiced up. The only problem was on Sunday, I played really bad. And there were so many people out there just, you know, you obviously have the, the, the little leaderboard. Uh, the standard bearers holding and it shows what my score is and I'm just getting reamed the whole day. Uh, so that's tough, but I like it. I think, uh, I wish golf had more of that. I think that, uh, you know, even the Ryder cup having some, uh, um, some booze, but just a lot of passion is cool. And I think New York fans have the most passion there is. So, uh, you know, I'd love to be a part of the American side for that, that Beth page Ryder cup that's coming up in a few years. Uh, Cause I would not want to be a European golfer <laughs> during those three days. You know, my claim to fame, this is probably the only thing I've ever done in a positive light on a golf course. 11 at Liberty. I hit a terrible tee shot. I'm talking like that part three. It's a tough one. You that's got the one to the left. You got the fescue to the right. Naturally I end up in the fescue. So I'm in there, Max buddy of mine's like, don't even hit out of that shit. He's like, you're never getting it out of there. I said, no, 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 I'm going to put it on the green. 20 bucks. Not only do we put it on the green box, we hit it in the perfect spot, rolls in. I'm like basically pulling the club up like Phil. They all thought I was going to bust my ass running down the hill. So it just goes to show you, you guys do that on a regular basis. When a hack like me pulls it off, it's like the crowning achievement of a lifetime. I got to tell you about it. 
Just saying. Uh, see, that's why golf's so cool, man, is because we all have our uh, memorable golf shots and those moments that make us want to just play more golf and, and have more stories to tell. That's why I love this game. All right, so tell me what you got cooking right now with Gillette. It's super, super cool. I know you're partnering up with them. Gillette Club 72. What do we need to know? Yeah, it's it's awesome. So Gillette got into the golf space uh, and basically they uh, they had a golf tour that went on and they their initiative was to have the 72 club, which uh, basically, you know, we're all striving, as you, you just mentioned, to get better every day at golf. They're trying to get better every day uh, in the deodorant space and they want people to keep striving to shoot 72. So if you shoot net 72, uh, you get to plug your score into the grint.com black backslash 72 club Gillette. Uh, you get a chance to win a shirt and you get to join a community of golfers who are also just trying to get better every day and strive to improve their golf game. So it's just cool to see a company like Gillette get into this. Uh, you know, as you just said, golf's getting cooler. It's getting, you know, more fun. It's getting more popular. So it's cool to see a huge company like this uh, want to get involved with, uh, you know, with our game. So uh, it's exciting to be a part of their movement. Uh, and, you know, growing the game is something I'm, I'm all about. So um, you know, they're, they're, if they're about it too, then, then that's really cool. So it's fun, it's fun to see them, uh, see them make this initiative, the, the 72 club. And, uh, I, I enjoy people, you know, trying to get better at golf and see if they can get their, uh, net score down to 72. Well, listen, maybe in another lifetime, I'll get to 72, you know, maybe at some point in my life, we're looking to get on the 90 for what it's worth. <laughs> we're on the 90. I'll be doing dances. Yeah. I want to get in that 72 club and I'll say, look, I don't care if it's plus whatever, 18 strokes. I'm in, baby. I'm in. You're a Cali guy. Are you a Cali sports fan? Oh, yeah. Dodgers, Lakers. I'm so how about this? Dodgers, Yankees, World Series. Come on, Max. Who wouldn't want that? And they won't be wearing those dopey black uniforms like they did a couple of years ago. I'd, I mean, I'm all in. I'm all in for Dodgers, Yankees, World Series. I think that would be uh, that'd be as cool as a guest to watch. Uh, we, you know. I'd like to see our pitchers throw against Stan and uh, Judge. I think that'd be fun to fun to experience them uh, trying to go head to head. Well, sign me up for that, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Continued success. We'll be rooting for you next year on the tour. And I mean, I can only imagine how a guy like you is looking to add a couple of you know yards on his drive. Like, come on, man. It's not fair. You guys, you guys are you guys are cyborgs, bro. It's ridiculous. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find a couple. But thank you for having me on, man. Keep grinding. I appreciate it. That's Max Alma, one of the rising stars on the PGA Tour. Coming right back. Thursday night football time. And thankfully, this is like the last of these brutal matchups because Fox next week starts carrying Thursday night football. So this is where they get like all the bad teams out of the way. You got Jacksonville and Cincinnati. And I'm telling you point blank, I would never in a million years bet this game if it was on a Sunday. It's a Thursday night game. So I'm going to look to get involved. By default, I'm taking Jacksonville plus the points. I can't lay seven and a half points with the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't care how bad the Jaguars may have been over their first three games. I cannot under any circumstances lay seven and a half points in this game. So I'm taking the Jaguars by default. They lose by 30 points. I'm going to feel like an idiot. But Cincinnati laying seven and a half. Let's not get nuts here. Let's not get nuts. Jeff Money, do we have a family play on Thursday night, my friend? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. I got to play for Wednesday, tomorrow the 29th, and for Thursday the 30th. So tomorrow the 29th, you're going to like this one. I'm going to take the Yankees. They're hot right now. How can you not take Coles and underdog plus the 120 at the Blue Jays against Barrow? So it doesn't matter who's pitching probably for the Blue Jays. They do change pitches as long as Coles pitching. 
I'm rolling with Cole. He's 10-4 and 4 with a 3.05 ERA on the road. So let's roll with the Yankees for tomorrow, Wednesday. As far as Thursday, now, I don't love the Thursday uh, uh, NFL game. Now, as far as our contest play, I did go good. I went 3-2, uh, and two, so I'm 8-7 and seven, uh, on the year. And head-to-head, we are 4-3, uh, and three, but head-to-head when it's uh, like we just had that Eagle game, we both were part of our contest plays. I'm 2-1 and one against you there. So as far as Thursday, like I said, I don't love it. It's not part of the contest plays, but I can. there's no way I can take the Jaguars. They're 0-3, and they're 0-3 with the covers. I'm going to roll with the home team. I'm going to roll with the Bengals. I don't love the line at minus the 7.5. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. Heads up on Thursday Night Football. And listen, the feeling's mutual. I don't love the game. Thankfully, the Yankees are playing on Thursday night. I guess Lawrence and Burrow is fun, but I don't think the Bengals are any great shakes. I'm not going nuts after their 2-1 start. I think that's way too premature. Um, and the Jaguars are dreadful. I can't lay seven and a half with Cincinnati. I'm sorry, I just can't. Jaguars it is. And listen, big start for Cole on Wednesday. Cole and Robbie Ray, as far as I'm concerned, the pitching for the AL Cy Young. Cole has a rough start. Ray's the front runner to win the award. Cole has a great start, and Ray's kind of so-so against the Yankees, kind of flips the other way. But I hope come Thursday, we are talking about the Yankees being on the doorstep of October baseball because there's nothing like October in the Bronx. Remember, get in. Step two, get me to the Dega. Step three. Get me to the Division Series. That's the way we lay it out. Hopefully, a little help and cooperation from the Baltimore Orioles. Go O's. Great job by the fellas tonight. You guys, outstanding as always. The trivia questions, you kicked my ass. JJ out. We'll chat Thursday. Actually, we'll chat tomorrow on Spotify Greenroom. We're everywhere. I mean, we're everywhere. We don't stop. No days off. Be good, everybody. <laughs>